There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. I have not had a lot of grape encounters this week. I've been fighting this really dreadful chest cold, and that is the bane of any wine journalist because it hits you on two levels. First, you can't taste the wine, and then second, you can't talk, so it's kind of terrible, but, you know, I'm making my way through it. If you don't mind me croaking through the show today, you know, it's a little raspy. What the heck? I made a hot toddy last night. I took Sauvignon Blanc, some Manuka honey, and some lemon juice, put it in the microwave to get it just, you know, nice and warm. That worked really, really well, but I can't do that when I'm going to be on the air. So that was a great way to go to sleep last night. And I've got a really fun guest on to start things off. She's doing an event in San Francisco that I just thought was really super clever. And I have been, for the past few years, really down on wine events that are just about, you know, wine and food pairings. You know, why can't we be more creative when it comes to wine events? There's, you know, so many good ideas yet to be explored. So my guest has put together this wonderful event. And so I want to welcome to the show, Emily Martin. She is the jet-setting fashionista. Welcome, Emily. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Don't I sound terrible? Gosh, you don't even know me, but gosh, I, it's like, it's hard to talk. Do you have any home remedies? Mm-hmm. Well, probably tea with a little honey is usually my go-to. <laughs> well, the warm Sauvignon Blanc, that kind of worked out pretty good. Just, oh, <laughs> well, if not? we're going to be honest, I'm probably going to suggest Pinot Noir, obviously. Oh, no, we're, we're going to talk about that, Emily. We've got to set you straight. But no, your event is actually called Pinot and Plaid. And I thought, now that's clever. That's pretty clever. I've I've seen so many Pinot in this and Pinot in that, but Pinot and Plaid, that was a little out there for me. And I thought, that's going to be something we're going to talk about. So first of all, before we get into that, I want to talk about your company a little bit. You have the most amazing blog. You know, I, I went to do my basic research on you, but then I got lost in your blog. Wow. <laughs> Is that a, that's probably the best line any guy has laid on you, right? I got lost in your blog. But um, yes. <laughs> it's the jet setting fashionista. But it was one of these things where I looked at every picture you had on the blog and I said, this person is having so much fun. Tell us about the blog. Uh, okay. Well, so the blog actually just celebrated its 10-year birthday in June. And how the blog came about is I was living and working in New York. I was in the fashion industry. And um, I always found myself planning my next trip and looking forward to 
where I was going next. Instead of, you know, my friends would always email me for suggestions if they were going abroad. And I realized instead of aggregating all these email lists, I should put it in one spot. So I created the blog and I was working in fashion at the time. So I was, you know, writing about my jet setting adventures as a fashionista in the fashion world. I worked at Bloomingdale's on Louis Vuitton during my time in New York. So the name is a little bit of a mouthful. And now that I write mostly about travel, food and wine, it's a little confusing that it's called fashionista. But after 10 years, it's one of those things I, I haven't really wanted to change. And that's sort of what I'm known as now. So I was looking at all the places you've been. You've been just everywhere. And how exactly, this is a personal question, how do you afford to do that? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, most people ask me that. So the blog is not actually my full-time job. I have my other business, which is actually how we met, um, Emily Martin Communications and Events. And that is where I work with um, various clients, restaurants, wineries, tours associations and I do marketing and events for them. So that is what really pays the bills. I joke that the blog just really gives me amazing access to events, winemakers, chefs, and, um, you know, media trips. So I get really, really lucky when I get invited on trips and get to visit, you know, wine countries that I might not be able to take myself to. So how often do you hit the road? I probably travel 30 to 40% of the time. So for example, the week after Pinot's and Plaid, I'm heading back to Paris and Champagne. I was in Champagne last fall and just had so much fun. I felt like I just scratched surface. So I will be returning and visiting some wineries and um, living in California. I mean, every weekend you could just drive a couple hours and I'm heading to Mendocino this weekend and Healdsburg, which if you've read my blog, you probably got tired of all of my Healdsburg content, but that's sort of my no, come away from home. A great place, really. <laughs> it is. And I noticed you spend a lot of time down in my neck of the woods, which is Central Coast. You seem to have an affinity for our area. I do. I think you mentioned that you're from Pasa Robles and Pasa Robles is very near and dear to my heart because that was where I took my first meeting. Media trip. I got to meet some, you know, iconic legends like Robert Haas and Gary Eberly. And I feel like Paso Robles is sort of this gem that a lot of people, if they don't, you know, make it down that south from San Francisco or north from L.A. Actually, I know there's a lot of L.A. people that go there. It's just it's wonderful. And I spend a lot of time in Santa Rita and Lompoc because of my love for Pinot Noir and all the wineries down there. Let's jump into Pinot and Plaid. So why Pinot and Plaid? Well, it's sort of like what you were saying. So I've been going to culinary and wine events. I'd say the past six or seven years since I've been in San Francisco, and I've got my favorite. You know, I love Charlie Palmer's um, Pigs and Pinot. I love Pebble Beach Food and Wine. I love World of Pinot. Obviously, the trend, <laughs> there's a common trend with the Pinot. And I felt like San Francisco was sort of lacking something at that caliber in the Pinot Noir world that both had the quality of wine producers plus a luxurious setting. And I feel like people love a glamorous event, and that doesn't make it not accessible. Um, it's just, you know, if you're going to have these highly rated and highly acclaimed producers, I think why not put them in a beautiful room with people dressed in a fun scene right, with delicious yeah. food and just a lovely setting. By the way, the venue that you're at in San Francisco, gosh, it's mind-boggling. What a beautiful place. <laughs> so I got really lucky. The Hibernia Bank has been an incredible partner. And when I discovered them, I think it was probably April or May, they'd only been doing events for a few months. So they were a little bit unknown, which is what I liked about it. I'm sort of tired of going to events at the exact same venues in San Francisco that everybody knows and has heard of. So I wanted to do something fun and exciting and fresh. And people that don't know the Hibernia Bank, it's one of the most historic banks in San Francisco. So I figured it would be perfect for an afternoon tasting um, with the natural light and just the historic 
beauty of it. Let's go back to plaid for a second because you're a fashionista. Is plaid back in? Because I'm still in jeans, Emily. It's like nobody told me, nobody tapped well, me on the shoulder think... and said, David, you got to be in plaid now. I still wear Tommy Bahama every day. <laughs> well, I don't know if plaid ever went out. I mean, okay. like, obviously, we, we all know that there's an iconic brand that we all adore, Burberry, that is, you know, the end all and be all of gorgeous plaid basically how it came about. I have a near and dear friend who she's going to have to listen to this radio show um, is a former editor at Elle and Glamour. And she's basically, I joke that she's my creative style director for my personal life for Pinos and Plaid. And we were brainstorming, you know, how do we make this fun and have a, a creative, exciting flair to it. And, you know, fall plaid feels right. And since there's so many ways to interpret that, I actually put together a Pinterest board. So all of our fashion lovers. Yeah, I saw that. Pinterest. Yeah, yeah. And there's a link on the website. So if you go to Emily Martin event, you will see the whole website for Pinots and Plaid. And it's basically how people want to interpret it. If you want to wear slacks and a blazer and have a little plaid bow tie, that would be great. I want the dress to be as sharp and beautiful as the space. All right. And, I, um, I was really bummed, Emily, because I went to my closet. I opened it up and I go, oh, no, I'm not going to be going to this event unless I spend <laughs> a little time at, I don't know, Nordstrom's. Will that work? Plaid is not mandatory. <laughs> okay. Plaid is not mandatory. Yeah. You are coming. And let me tell you a little secret. I, I okay. picked up a bunch of adorable plaid bow ties on eBay. Oh. So um, if you are looking for a little flare that's very affordable, I think I got a bunch of them for under $20. Uh. But plaid is not mandatory, but I would prefer guests not to wear denim. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about the event, but then I want to talk about the trail that you have been traveling down because you've been hanging out with some of my friends, and I don't know why we have not met. How is that possible? Maybe you've just been behind filming on the radio while I've been out there drinking in person. Or, or maybe you only notice men who are wearing plaid. That could be that. Hey, listen, Emily, stay with me, and we're going to be right back. We're talking to Emily Martin of Emily Martin Communications and Events. And Emily has a great blog called The Jet Setting Fashionista, and you got to read it. And you got to look at the pictures, too, because they're so much fun. We're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Thanks to endless food shows, innovative cookbooks, and fierce competition between world-class chefs, what we eat today is far different from what our parents and grandparents feasted on. That means we have almost endless choices when we sit down for a meal. But it also means that wine pairing can get a little trickier than white with chicken and fish and red with beef. At Total Wine & More, there are countless wines to pair with your meal no matter how exotic or off the wall it may be. And the best news is, if you tell your Total Wine expert what's for dinner, they can guide you to the perfect wine match. And even if you just wanted a little inspiration without leaving home, you can log on to TotalWine.com for inspired food pairings and awesome savings. There's more in store at Total Wine and more. David will be back with more Grape Encounters in a couple of minutes, which means there simply isn't enough time for him to enjoy more than a sip or two of one of his faves. Oh, the sacrifices we make in the broadcasting business. Wine Experience's Founders Barrel Auction on Friday, August 23rd is an afternoon of elegance. Sample wine futures from Authentique Wine Cellars, Hewitt Cellars, Laurel Ridge Winery, 
Left Coast Estate, Russell Prayer Rock Vineyards, Stone Griffin Vineyard, Vulcan Cellars, plus many more. The action takes off as you bid on the opportunity to win a case or the whole barrel of Oregon's finest wines. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, Walnuts and Wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts, and for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and, of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we're talking about wine events of a different color. You know, so many wine events that I go to are just the same old, same old. It's either chocolate or vanilla. And I am always excited when I see somebody doing something that's a little bit different off the beaten path. And that is our Emily Martin of Emily Martin Communications. And she is also the jet-setting fashionista. Did somebody give you that title, Emily, or uh, did you give it to yourself? (laughs) Um, Great question. Actually, one of my dear friends in New York thought of it. She had a blog as a lunch bow, and we did a lot of travel together. And as we were brainstorming fun, catchy names, that's what she thought of. So I can give all the credit to my dear friend, Lindsay. Lindsay, are you out there? (laughs) Oh, She's in New York, but I'm going to tell her. No, no, she's raising her hand right there. I see her. Okay. All right. So you get all over the world. It seems like there's pretty much no corner of the planet that you haven't touched. What do you look for in a great event? What gets you to buy an airline ticket and go someplace? Oh, great question. Well, I think a great event is something that offers a unique experience. Curated experience is probably the key word for the guests and put people in a room together that are both like-minded, but are also a little bit different and everybody has something unique to offer. For example, let's talk about Napa. How many great Napa Cabernet producers are there? There's a million. 
so when I'm trying to write about each winery, I want to find differentiators about them. You know, maybe it's the chocolate lab that welcomes you as you're pulling in the driveway or the sixth generation winemaker. So I think an event is just like that. I mean, you said it too. I think we both have gotten a little tired of the same similar events. And I mean, I still go to them. I still love them. If there's an event with great wine, great people and great food, I'm not going to miss it. But it's fun to just shake it up a little bit. It's funny when I moved from New York to San Francisco, everybody told me people in San Francisco love to dress up. And each year at Halloween, I'm reminded of this. People love to dress up here. People have dress up Halloween parties, birthday parties. And I think part of the theme behind Pinots and Plaid is, you know, let's dress up. Let's have some fun. Let's drink some beautiful wine and eat some delicious food all in one spot. All right. So do people People enjoy dressing up more in New York or California? I think specifically in San Francisco. I cannot speak for the rest of All California. Right. They definitely dress up more than my friends did when I lived in Manhattan. Really? Well, See, I, I, think I, would, I would have thought, no, no way. Well, when I say dress up, I mean dress up in a costume. Okay, yeah. Was I dressed to the nine every day when I went to Louis Vuitton or Bloomingdale's in my black series suits and high heels? Absolutely. Did I dress like that when I had a corporate job in San Francisco? No, it was much more casual. Maybe that's why there's this appetite for these fun little dressing up on the weekends and theme parties, because day to day, you know, look at the tech world. It's much more casual. Sweatshirts, sneakers. So, Emily, serious question. Are you currently wearing jeans? <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. I'm currently in a yoga outfit. Oh, I'm no. Weekly <laughs> yoga. <laughs> A yoga outfit. So what a coincidence, because so am I. And I feel so good in spandex. It is so terrific. Okay, never mind. All right, let's talk about this Pinot thing, because as you probably know, I have this thing about Pinot. It's not that I don't like Pinot, but there's so much cruddy Pinot out there. And so I'm a little down on Pinot, also because it's been given this status of sort of royalty in the wine world. You know, there are very few wines that have that status. Champagne has that status. Pinot has that status. In a kind of sort of way, rosé has that status as well. You know, their own category. But why are we as wine drinkers so obsessed with this particular grape? What's the deal? Mm. That is the million dollar question. Yes, Um, it is. I don't want to disagree with you, but I am not tired of Pinot because I've been drinking some gorgeous, beautiful Pinot. So maybe we just have to get the right Pinot in front of you and then you'll get less tired no, of no, it. No, no, but, no, um, no, I, I do- no, I have, no, I drink some good Pinots and don't get me wrong. And a lot of this is just, you know, put on by me because I want to drive <laughs> this point home because there's this sort of guilt trip that a lot of stuffy wine drinkers lay on less stuffy wine drinkers. It goes like this. If you don't love Pinot, then you're not a serious wine drinker. And you know what? I say BS to that. I call BS. Pinot has a very different flavor than the other wine brethren. And if you don't like that flavor, you just don't like it. And it's okay. Right. I agree that wine is just such a personal preference. So I try to never tell someone, oh, why don't you like it? It's so good. You should like it. So I personally have sort of fallen in love with Pinot my past seven years in San Francisco. You know, obviously Cabernet is wonderful. Like this is October Merlot month. I'll be drinking a lot of Merlot this month celebrating and writing about that. But what I find myself opening the most in my cellar is Pinot Noir. And after my trip to Champagne, I mean, I love Champagne even more. And for me, maybe the reason that you say that my blog is so joyful is because hearing the story firsthand, you know, when I went to Champagne and I got to go to Dom Perignon as my first winery and I met with the winemaker. To me, it's like the tasting that you do on site with the winemaker. That's what ties it together. And I don't know. I just think travel gives you that opportunity. And I think that I've been able to do a lot of that with Pinot Noir. So maybe I've just been playing favorites. (laughs) 
Well, I noticed you've been spending a lot of time down in my neck of the woods, a little south of where we're at. And actually, I saw a great blog that you wrote about my best friend from first grade. And we've been friends ever since. John Wagner, Peak Ranch. Yes, Peak Ranch is amazing. Yes, it is. I first learned about them a few years ago. And if people haven't been down there, when you go to Santa Rita Hills, you definitely need to plan a visit. And beautiful wines, beautiful setting. John Wagner seems super down to earth and wonderful. I hate to say it, Emily, we're out of time. Can you believe it? Oh my God, no. I, we can just, just talk about vineyards all day. I know, it just flies, but we're going to have you on many, many, many times in the future. So for people who want to know more about Pinot and Plaid, where do I send them? If you just go to Emily Martin event, it will take you there. And then we also want to invite all of David Wilson's listeners from Grape Encounters. I want to share a little special ticket price for you. Oh, awesome. So if you decide to come, just type in Grape Encounters. And you'll get a little extra special ticket price. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And we have a lot of listeners up in your area, so hopefully they will attend. And hopefully I can find some plaid in my size, and I will attend as well. If not, well, you know, Or even if you don't find plaid, you can. I would still love you to attend. You know what? <laughs> I do have a plaid yoga outfit. I might wear that. Yoga feels a little bit like denim casual. No. No. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> so people envy me when I wear my yoga plaid. Anyway, Emily, so nice to have you on. It was really, really fun. We've got so much more to talk about, so I hope you'll join me later. I apologize for my hoarseness today, but you know what? The show must go on, that's for sure, right? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to you and sharing stories about our mutual friends and wine and pinot and plaid. And yeah, I would love to join any time in the near future. All right. Well, we're going to definitely do that. It's Emily Martin, Emily Martin Communications and Events, but go to, is it The Jet Setting or just Jet Setting? Well, the blog is called The Jet Setting URL, and the website is just JS Fashionista, a little bit shorter. JS Fashionista. There's great content, great photos there, really, really good blog site. If you're into fashion, if you're into wine, if you're into food, if you're into massage, you're into travel, <laughs> that's the place to go. But you're going to, by the time you go through the site, you're going to hate Emily because she's having more fun than everybody else. I've got somebody coming into the studio. I'm going to go gargle and then I'm bringing in a fella who's been a longtime listener all the way from Atlanta, has flown down here just to say hi. That's pretty exciting. And he's coming up next on Grape Encounters Radio. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. If you're topping off your burger with grilled onions and blue cheese, pair your work of art with a spicy Malbec. Nothing beats a buttery Chardonnay with grilled corn on the cob. I'm ready to find you the perfect bottle of white for your next get-together. Pack up the cooler for this weekend. We've got canned wine and beer ready to throw on ice. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers! I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. 
Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. Savor Oregon's finest wines at the Oregon Wine Experience's Grand Tasting on Sunday, August 25th. Work your way through the tasting tables and enjoy an array of delicious culinary bites. Don't miss this special opportunity to sample wines from all corners of Oregon in one unique location. The wine pours start at 2 p.m. Plan your experience today. Go to theoregonwineexperience.com to purchase tickets. The Oregon Wine Experience, it's everything Oregon. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. You know, every week we encourage you to look beyond the ordinary and seek the extraordinary. That's why you definitely want to check out Winery Direct at Total Wine and More. These are products that are identified by the yellow shelf tag in their stores and online. You can learn more at TotalWine.com. And now let's continue our discussion on Grape Encounters. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And, you know, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things that happens during the course of my job, I don't know if you can call this a job, but my gig, is that I very often get visitors to the studio and to the Grape Encounters Emporium. And today is no exception except for this particular visitor who is a listener, and I should have said that, I get listeners who come and visit me at the studio, but Jack Brazell has come all the way from Atlanta for Pete's sake, and I try very often to get our listeners on the air when they want to. Most people don't want to be on the radio, and then there are other people that always want to be on the radio, and those are the ones I generally don't want on the radio, but Jack, welcome to... Welcome, it's glad to be here. Welcome to the studio, man. Yeah, this has been fun. But yeah, you were here last night, and Got to drink a bunch of wine and got to meet a lot of your local neighbors. Yeah, exactly. And some of the cool people in town. And we had other listeners that came in just about the time that you came in. But I don't get listeners on the air too much. But I wanted you to come on the air because you are not just a listener and and you listen by podcast. By the I do. way, which I I don't understand because we have stations in Atlanta, but. Um, but you've been listening for a long time. You do something that that I wish more people would do, which is home winemaking, or some people call it club winemaking. You know, it's, there's different variations on the theme. And I just thought it would be good to get a little perspective on it from your point of view, because there's so many people that wish they could make wine, but they're really fearful of it. And it's become easier and easier and easier as time goes on. Am I right? I joke about, I joke about it as becoming the hobby that got out of control. Um, well, it gets out of control for a so lot of people. Yes. And there's so many people that they start off like you and then they become addicted. And the next thing you know, they've sold the house and everything and they're planting grapes and building a winery. But the truth is, is that a large portion, wherever you're buying the wine at, is made by somebody who doesn't have a winery. Right. You know, it's it's virtual and there are all these custom crush facilities now. So uh, first of all, I want to say thank you, Jack, for listening to the show. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. How did, how did you uh, discover our show? I was searching soon after I started doing home wine making. I was searching for podcasts and it was a lot of trying to understand more and learn more behind the scenes. And yours had the wide, widest variety. Um, so I latched onto that. I have a couple of others that I do as well, but it was, it covered everything from the wineries to tasting to media food you kind of cover the gamut so that was what created the interest and kept the interest well i think it's you know we we try very hard to you know touch on subjects that are not going to be in the mainstream necessarily because there's a, a pretty heavy diet of that out there but we try to put wine into perspective i guess and give some a little different and human perspective to it but i do appreciate uh, you listening so t- how long have you been making wine it's about early 2015 um, okay, that's a while now. Act, yep, I actually, um, it's you know, obviously drank wine and picked up different bottles. You know, studied different types of grapes, but never even considered making. Um, and actually, a local shop uh, in the Atlanta area, and one of them had um, a class doing the you know kit wine making, which was kind of my first introduction. And so I did that class first, and then I just got involved in the in the kind of the science behind it. That was the interesting part to me: the science and the that aspect of the chemicals going in or the non or the you know how strict you have to be on sanitation all of that that was the interest that's the the hard work part actually so you um you go to this store do you do you start out just doing it by yourself or you get involved with a group how you do one there the, the initial one we did was like a group of six or eight people that you do it together with the owner sharing their experiences and their their knowledge there and then you do, i just progressed to moving some back to my own home um i have an area in my house that was available to be a home winemaking option. So you're using something called must, right? No, actually, it's the fresh juice. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about before that. Uh, before that, you're using the kits, the, which is the concentrated juice. Yeah, okay. All right. I, but, but I know they sell at those stores uh, must, which is basically a you know compressed juice. I'm not sure how that all works, taking one of those classes. Yeah, no. Um, I'm afraid to do it, Jack. <laughs> if I, Everybody says, when are you going to start making wine? But the truth is, I already do. It's just that I, I consult with some wineries, and uh, so I get to help shape the wine. It's like having grandchildren, I guess. You know, you don't have to – you can play with them and send them on their merry way. So where are you at now in, in terms so, of all this? You're doing some at home. I do some at home, but then um, it's now, I think, the fourth season. Um, I did some searching around because obviously being in the southeast, there's not as much opportunity like a lot of people here in California have for local grapes and um, from that aspect. But I searched around and found a wine club a couple hours away. Um, that I joined and became part of were about 75 people, and we bring in about five to seven tons of grapes a year. Oh, wow. Between California and Washington. So when you uh, say you bring them in, do you guys go and pick them, or do you Nope. We actually have, that way? We have a connection that they've had for several years, um, and we have them trucked across. We it's, uh, Trucking is always the challenge. And yeah, you connect, gotta, you got to keep them cold. And connecting up with what's worked well for us is we connect up with a fruit distributor who can then truck them across because oh, you're not bringing yeah. a full truckload. Very good, yeah. Um, so that has worked out well. And um, we actually had our first shipment last weekend for this year. And what varietals? Um, we had uh, Sangiovese this year, which we tried. Okay. Um, we've had – last year we had 
Zinn is a very popular. We have that every year, pretty much. Cab, pretty much every year. Although Cab in California is getting a little more difficult to get from there. It's often sold ahead of time. So we've been getting some from Washington. But right now, I mean, but you, you want fresh fruit, right? You're gonna, you're gonna actually crush yourselves. Because uh, I know there's a ton of the juice market out out there now is just crazy. There's so you know there's an overabundance of juice, but uh, of course you can get it unfermented, and that's what I get at this at this time of year. But eventually they ferment it, and people then doctor it and work with it after. But that's no fun. That's we're actually testing that this year with a little bit of white because we don't typically do white wine. And I didn't realize this till somebody said it is much harder to truck it across the country white. The grapes won't really make it like red grapes will. The reds are more resilient. So we're trying that for the first time since I've been there. And we'll see how that goes this year. So where where do we go from here? Do you think that you'll get more deeply involved in this? Do you think you'll ever have your own little small label? What are you thinking? You know, I don't know. I, it, I've toyed with it. Um, I actually kind of probably have toyed more with um, – not exactly the shop like you have, but um, my other love is coffee. So um, I've been doing some exploring of coffee wine bars. Yes, and- that is a concept that's growing appreciably right now. Yeah, And I'm seeing more and more of that. I love the concept. Well, I sure appreciate you coming in yep. today and stopping by. And we got to spend some quality time last night. But I, again, I, I, I so appreciate you listening. And it's uh, would you say for the average person – that getting into winemaking is a fairly easy and affordable endeavor? It absolutely is easy and affordable. Um, from a cost perspective, there's not a lot you need to buy up front um, to get involved. Um, you can, but you can go as far as you want too. You can go uh, much further, but then also you build in the cost of what you're obtaining from the wine. So as you're making the wine, instead of going out and buying wine, you now have wine. The hardest part in the beginning is building up your cellar because you want it right away. You want to try it right away. And, and, and you don't and want it to needs, wait. And it needs to be good too. I, I have a few friends that, that are home winemakers. Ooh, not so good. You know, and they, they sanitation, sanitation, sanitation. Is isn't, isn't that the truth? Some people will ask me why it is that Wines from other countries, you know, have sort of, they call it an earthy character to them. And it does come down to sanitation. And it's not a bad thing, by the way. If you like a wine that sort of has a, the characteristics of a, uh, 500-year-old church, you know, in terms of the way it smells, then, <laughs> you know, you're going to find that out there. But it's not likely it's going to happen in California because there, we're obsessed. We're clean freaks here. Yeah, yeah. When I first started, I was like strict to the book everything. And now it's kind of, I'm a little more comfortable so I can expand. But a great option for people if they want to learn more is I've done the winemaker conference, winemaker magazine conference for three years. And there's a person there that just kits, literally has kind of expanded them, done stuff with them and wins several awards. All right. uh, Jack Brazel Mm -hmm. is uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. You're going to continue your trip, but I'm really, really uh, very appreciative that you stopped by. You know, the thing about being on the radio like this is I don't get to see you. And, you know, we know you guys are out there 
but we're not looking at you. It's, you know, we're in an empty room most of the time. We're with an engineer. Just getting to meet the audience for me is one of the greatest things in the world. And we try with this show and have for 10 years to be really super accessible. So anytime anybody's out here in beautiful Tascadero on the central coast of California, do what Jack did. He dropped me a note, told me when he was coming, and voila, here we are. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Summertime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Nothing beats beers and burgers. And with so many to choose from, we've got the perfect cold one waiting for you. Serving up salads at your cookout this weekend? Add a dry rosé to the table for a perfect pairing. When I'm the barbecue grill master, I've got to have a cold lager in my hand. Hey, grab me another. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this summer at Total Wine & More. Cheers. Nestled right in between two world-class wine countries, Paso Robles and San Luis Obispo, the warm and inviting city of Atascadero is the perfect gateway to nearly endless wine country adventures. Cozy and oh-so-friendly, make historic Atascadero home base for adventures to hundreds of surrounding wineries, the nearby Pacific, and magical Hearst Castle, plus an amazing array of attractions from ziplining to delectable dining. Discover all that affordable Atascadero has to offer at visitatascadero.com. I want to take this opportunity to tell you about the wines of Peak Ranch. I recently discovered these truly amazing wines that are raking in top honors from the wine press. What I didn't initially realize is that I had a very strong connection to these perfectly crafted Pinots, Syrahs, Chardonnays, and more. Remarkably, these wines are produced by my very best friend from the first grade, John Wagner. Now, I have to say that John has always one-upped me in almost everything he does, and these extraordinary wines are no exception. Made from grapes grown on one of California's most historic Central Coast properties, there is no other word to describe them than perfect. Peak Ranch is doing everything right. Amazing wines that will absolutely astound you. Buy them online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do some special segments on a topic that we don't really talk about much on Grape Encounters. And that is spirits. Now, I know we're a wine show, but... The reason that spirits, I think, figure into the whole wine conversation is the fact that if you go to wine countries these days, you're going to find where there's wine, there are spirits. And it's not just because they're both adult beverages, but because they feed off each other. And so when a dear friend of mine who is a master chef moved in across the courtyard from our studio, I spent the last two years watching everything that he has done and the more I watched, the more I really appreciated the relationship between spirits and wine. And so I want to welcome today Eric Olson. He is a fabulous creator of things that taste wonderful. And Eric is also the owner of the Central Coast Distillery, which literally I'm looking out my window and I can see everything that's going on at his place and so much of what I see 
is what I recognize from decades of experience in the wine industry. Anyway, Eric, welcome to Grape Encounters. Nice to be here, Dave. So Eric started a business called Central Coast Distillery. Correct. And then the brand that your product is going out under is called Forager. Yes. And you're making just about everything. And I was really shocked to learn recently that you're making tequila. And I had no idea how crazy tequila making is. It's so out there. Anyway, that's a totally different subject. But we're going to talk whiskey today. And I've watched. You have spent literally two years putting your place together. And one of the things that was really interesting to me early on was that as you brought in tanks and equipment and stuff like that, it was very similar to what we see in the wine industry. You've been a wine aficionado for what, 30 years maybe? All my life. Okay. So they're close, right? Oh, they're so parallel. I mean, you've got the wine tanks, the fermenting tanks that are actually used for wine or can be used for making wort or mash. Okay. So first of all, what in the world got you interested in whiskey? Well, you know, Dave, like you say, I've been in the wine industry chefing, and I really think the wine industry is just amazing um, how far they've taken it, how far California's taken it. And I don't think the spirit industry is there yet. And that's why I got into it. I really wanted to develop it a little bit further. So it's really crazy how the wine industry has just exploded. And then we had the craft beer industry come along. But now it's starting to take hold in the spirit industry and no place more prominent than the whiskey business. Now, I know you make all kinds of different things, but what is it about whiskey that is so appealing to people? And I noticed that people that I know who are way into wine are also drawn to whiskey and they seem very different. But when I came over to your place and I started tasting with you, I realized that we pair spirits very much the same way as we pair wine. Exactly. We don't pair them as close when we're sensing them, but it's interesting. I'm looking for the same notes they're looking for in wines. I'm looking for those vanillas. I'm looking for those tannins in my whiskey. So it's truly what you say. They're they're very similar. We're looking for the same notes, the same bouquets, but just a little bit different aspect. So the grains that go into whiskey, how important are those to the quality of the whiskey? Is that where the difference lies? It's quality all the way around. I mean, whether it's cuisine, wine, beer, or distillation, it's quality ingredients. So we're looking for quality yeasts. We're looking for quality grains, quality barrels, and a quality still. So up to the point where you actually distill it down, which is where the alcohol content rises appreciably, everything is pretty much the same as the winemaking process. Exactly. In fact, I was looking at some winemaking techniques over this weekend where they take clusters of wine and ferment them in clusters. And I said to myself, that is ingenious. And that really accentuates some of those grapes. So I thought, well, can I cluster corn cobs and ferment them? I yeah, mean, why not? Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought, why not try it? I mean, if you can cluster them and they ferment, why not try it? Is that being done? Anywhere? Not to my knowledge. Dave. That's a really good idea. So Total Wine and More is a sponsor of Grape Encounters Radio. They're having an event. I'm going to try to get out to it. It's going to happen in Las Vegas, and it's called Whiskey on the Rocks. And this is going to be a really fun event. And you get to taste all these different whiskeys side by side. And it's kind of interesting how now there are whiskey tastings, which really didn't exist before. That's and another parallel. 
I mean, once again, we're, we're, we're going to whiskey tastings and we used to go to wine tastings. Yeah. And do you find that it's the wine drinkers that are coming over for the spirits? Generally speaking, the people that really go after some of those high quality wines are going to venture for those high quality whiskeys. So I've been to some really interesting pairing dinners where they were pairing wine and beer. And I thought that was really super interesting because in some of these pairings, it was strange to see that the guests that were eating the food and drinking the wine and drinking the beer actually preferred the beer pairing with the food to the wine in some ways. But I wonder, do you pair whiskey with food during a meal or should it be after the meal or before the meal? Well, I mean, you'd have the basics where you could do whiskey and a barbecue sauce. That's pretty basic or or bourbon cookies or bourbon bread. And then you could accentuate that and take it to the next level and you could serve it with a wild game or you could take it even further and make souffles out of it. So from start to finish, how long does it take you from beginning to end to create a really quality whiskey? Well, the shortest span of time, if you really want to create a decent whiskey, would be a year in a five-gallon barrel. Small barrel, a lot of surface space, really high-quality ingredients, good yeast, good water. Distill that thing, get some new, good notes, put it in new oak charred barrel, five gallons, let it go for about a year, and I think you'll, you'll be on a start. All right. So Friday, October 18th is the Whiskey on the Rocks event in Vegas. The big question is, do you want to go with me? Sounds good. Sounds fantastic. We don't have to share a room or anything <laughs> like that, but it does sound really good. And actually, it's going to be a really fun time. It's going to be from 1 to 4 p.m. or 4 to 7 p.m. And they're going to do a lot of stuff. They're going to have just a ton of whiskey producers there. And you can really try them side by side, 30 different distillers. But the real big thing right now is micro distillers like you. It is. It's a new trend. It's it's really busting the seams right now when you go to buy different things, some Somebody's already bought it. So it's kind of fun. It's the Wild West of craft spirit. Well, that, Eric, is going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Normally, we talk wine and food on this show when you're here. But today, it's a little different story. But sometimes, we got to branch out a little bit and talk about some things that we don't talk about. And I just have been very fascinated by the parallels between whiskey and wine. I do want to apologize for my croaky voice today. A little whiskey hot toddy would help, right? I think so. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I might step out of the studio and over to your place and do that very thing. I thank you very much for being here. All right, so it's Eric Olson of Central Coast Distillery. If people want to know more about your product, where do they go? CentralCoastDistillery.net .net. But the brand is called Forager. Just go to the website. You can find it there and learn more about it. Okay, we'll be back next week with more Grape Encounters Radio. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you then.